0: when something of this magnitude happens, it's a good idea to take a step back, to reassess and even to try to understand what's going on. And so whether you know Jesse or not, this is, a, this is gonna be a little bit of a family night for us, a time for us to link our arms together and pray for them as we just did and to be sober-minded and even to consider the impact that these type of events have in our lives. If you're new with us, we're so glad that you're here tonight. And uh, for tonight, consider yourself part of our family as we walk through and work through this crisis together. Now, just to catch you up a little bit, uh, Jesse Roman's the oldest of four brothers. Uh, there's Matthew, and Daniel, and Critter. Well, don't call him Christopher. Critter. Okay, Christopher. Yeah. Uh, and uh, they're four boys. They're, uh, they're an awesome family. Uh, he's two years out of high school, and he's on his way into the Navy. His aspirations are to be a Navy SEAL, and he's waiting for his deployment day, which would be sometime after the first of the year. He's been in this ministry. Uh, he grew up in our high school group. He's grown up going to our church his entire life. He, if you don't know who he is, he's got blonde dreadlocks now uh, that they had to shave part of them off today. I'll explain more about that in a minute. Uh, which is a bummer for him because he spent a lot of money on them. Uh, but uh, he's built like a house, getting ready to go into SEAL training, and he's a little bit on the quieter side, having played football in high school uh, and currently working at Chick-fil-A. So that's him in a nutshell. Uh, his parents used to be part of our college staff, and they are beloved by many in this room. So last night he was driving home from Oceanside around 11 o'clock, and his, in the rain his truck hydroplaned going across the seventy six. Uh, nobody was there, he was by himself, it's somehow, as the story goes, best we can understand, he lost control, went off the road, it flipped uh, and somebody called, called it in, the emergency teams brought him into the ER, he had multiple broken ribs, a punctured lung, swelling in his brain that was caused by some force of impact and multiple temporal fractures going down the side of his, of his head and so they had to sedate him put a breathing a tube down his throat and a breathing machine to breathe for him. And they put, they shaved that part of his head, which his mom was a little excited about because now the dreads are gone, uh, to put a drain in to keep the pressure off of his skull. Um, they won't know more for about, oh, they say like around 72 hours to assess kind of what's happened, but he has not been conscious. Um, since that point. You can imagine being a mom who woke up this morning wondering where, why did my son not come home last night and being upset with him because he didn't call to say I'm staying out tonight only to get a phone call at nine o'clock this morning from the hospital saying uh, are you related to Jesse Roman? We've spent the last 10 hours trying to identify him and figure out who he is yet who are you? I'm his mother. Describe him physically. Okay you need to get down here. So that's what happened in the Roman's life today, pretty crazy. I had the opportunity to go down to the hospital and visit with the family, pray with them at his bedside this afternoon. And I can just tell you, it is a horrifying experience as a parent, um, watching and even seeing what they're going through. Um, Difficult, difficult times. Your son's in a car accident, you better get down here. What crazy things to have said to you in the morning. But events like this happen in our lives all the time. Maybe not that traumatic and severe, but every one of us has been through difficult times and trauma in our life, haven't we? Uh, We see it on the news, planes fly into buildings, tsunamis strike, fires roar across the countryside. There are heart attacks, strokes, car accidents, cancer, and even death. Pain and suffering are part of our lives. And the question that at some point Pops up to the top of the chart in your minds is why? Why? Why last night? Why Jesse Roman? Why do these things happen? Why is our world so messed up? Why is your life so messed up? Uh, why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? Suffering and evil are two things that are very hard for us to wrap our minds around because if God is good, And if he is wise, and if he loves us, then why does he allow these type of things to happen to us? And they happen to all of us at different levels. And they're difficult questions to answer. But based on the events of the day and other struggles that I'm sure you're going through right now and trials in your own life, I thought it appropriate that we take a break from the Gospel of John. And I wanna do my best to try to answer this question tonight, why do bad things happen to good people? I don't know what's in your past, many of you in your short lives have gone through really, really heavy things. Whether it's parents divorcing, the loss of a loved one, some health issue, financial crisis, you've been through a lot, even in the extent of 18 to 20 years. Some of you are going through deep water, the deep water of trials right now. Might be a health concern, might be a family issue, might be something at school or relational, it's trauma, but there's something you're dealing with even tonight. For others, the sun is shining down on you right now. You're like, school's two weeks from being over. Christmas is coming. This is awesome. Best day of my life today. And that's great. But I would suggest that the next trial is not far off. It's often said, right, that you either have just come out of a trial you're in a trial or you're just about to go into a trial. And so for all of us, this question is important to wrap our minds around, even consider what does the word of God say about trials, suffering, and the question of why? So like I said, this is a little bit of a family night tonight. I'd like to spend some time as, you, as a shepherd and as a father helping walk through this so that we can understand really what happened to Jesse what's happening in your own struggles and try to frame this in the way that God would have us to understand why these things happen. Is that fair enough? All right. I've got six points tonight. That's okay. Number one, this is a topical message. We'll be moving around the scriptures. Number one, why do bad things happen to good people? The first thing you need to understand is that this is not an accident. However you want to write point number one, there are no accidents. Something like that however you want to say that. Um, Can we just say that there is nothing left to chance? There is no such thing as good luck or bad luck. You don't uh, flip a coin and sheer luck dictates what happens there. It doesn't matter if you breathe on the or kiss the dice before they get rolled. None of that matters. There are no such thing as bad omens. You've ever worried about, breaking a mirror or walking under a ladder or stepping on a crack because you might break your mother's back, right? Or opening an umbrella inside or the number 13 or whatever it might be. No such thing. There are also, contrarily, no good luck charms. A rabbit's foot is nothing. It certainly wasn't good Good luck for the rabbit who, was, who lost that foot, right? And putting your shoes and socks on in a certain order as baseball players do or anything like that, there are no good luck charms. There are no superstition. Biblically, these things simply do not exist. We live in a world of fixed realities, controlled by an individual whose name is Yahweh, God is in complete and total control. Psalm 103, verse 19 says, The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his sovereignty rules over all. God reigns supreme over all of creation. God sits, picture this, we sang about it tonight. He sits on an actual throne. Revelation describes it with emerald tones, with peals and and crashes of thunder and lightning. With river running out from it, it is described in the Bible, God is on a real throne, in a real place called heaven right now. And he is doing as he pleases. A.W. Pink said, God does as he pleases, only as he pleases, always as he pleases. In Job chapter 42, verse 2, Job said, Speaking to God, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. In Daniel 4.35, Daniel said, no one can stop him. And Jeremiah said, nothing is too difficult for him in chapter 32.17. And Isaiah in 14.27 says, who can frustrate the hand of God? The answer, no one. God is in control. He is sovereign. Listen, listen, there are no accidents in your life or in this universe. In 2003, Tracy's grandparents who lived in Poway, they passed away a number of years ago, but they lived in Poway and there was a big fire that ran through uh, that whole area of San Diego. And they lived uh, across the street, across the street directly from them were houses, behind that was the hillside. And as this fire tore through, they got a reverse 911 call which I don't think would work today because we don't have home phones, but when you used to have a home phone that was connected to the wall, the police could dial into you, a reverse 911, and it would ring and you'd, hey, this is the police, get out of your house. That's what they got at 4 o'clock in the morning. You need to get out now, the fire's coming. So at 85 years old, they grabbed the cat and a pair of change of clothes, and they left, thinking, like you would, like, we'll be back, no big deal. Uh, I was the first one there after the fire ended a day later, and they were able to put put it out, and across the street, almost every house was gone, right? That would be like across that street, all gone. On their side of the street, as I drove down, every house was in perfect shape, except for theirs. It was the only house on their side of the street that had burned down, and I remember walking, parking, walking up the driveway, and then standing on the roof that was this far off the ground, and there was nothing left. And I looked around and thought, that house made it on the left, that house made it on the right. The house directly across the street was gone, but that one was there, and that one was there, and this one over here. And it's just this random pathway. And you, even in the recent fires, you see that, right? A whole tract is gone. For some reason, this one house is still there. Crazy, right? Uh, what's the point? The point is that this is not even an accident. This is not rotten luck. We need to recognize that everything happens according to God's plan and nothing is outside of his control. I don't know if you've thought about that for your own life, but nothing in your life is a mistake. The death that you've faced, the struggles, the pain, uh, maybe you've lost a house in the past, I don't know, parents getting a divorce, failing a class, there are not accidents in this. None of this is taking God by surprise when you go through some crisis. Charles Spurgeon says it this way, there is no attribute more comforting to his children than that of God's sovereignty. Under the most adverse circumstances, in the most severe trials, they believe that sovereignty has ordained their afflictions, that sovereignty rules over them, and that sovereignty will sanctify them. That's a good word. That's a good word. I remember when my daughter Zoe was small, uh, she, something would happen and she would be scared, like two or three year old. And her response immediately was to turn from whatever she was doing in terror and look until she found me and come running to my arms. And as soon as she was there and I was able to wrap her in the strong embrace of a father, she was completely at peace. Why? Why? Because she knows that she's safe there. How much more can we run to our Father's arms since we know that He is sovereign and that He cares for us and that He's in control of all things? So, the bad things that happen in your life are not an accident. Secondly, we could say that these bad things are a result of sin. They're a result of sin. Now, we're gonna look at John 9 tonight which the disciples asked Jesus, why was this man born blind? Did he sin or his parents? That was the idea. Certainly this guy sinned because look at what, something bad happened to him. Jesus says, no, nope, you missed it entirely. It's for a whole different purpose and we'll look at that next week. But I would say you could write down it's a result of sin or you could write down it's a result of the fall. But why is there suffering in this world? If there's a loving God, why is there so much pain? Um, Why does God allow babies to suffer and people in Africa to starve to death and war to take place, accidents to happen? We have to look back though and recognize that this is not how God designed this world. We sit in our vantage point today and we have funeral parlors and we have hospitals and we have all sorts of other things going on and you've got to recognize that this is not the world that God designed. God designed a world that was perfect, a world that was without death. Think about that. That they, there, was, there were no goodbyes. There was no suffering or pain. There were no health issues. There were no um, external or internal strife. There was no aging. There was no trouble at all. I bet people didn't even gain weight. That's, we'll have to figure that one out later. <laughs> but watch this. Watch this. Go, into God's perfect world, our first fathers put their fist in God's face and said, I'll go my own way. You created this way, but I want to do my own thing. And in that act of sin, they brought all through the fall, they brought trouble into this world. Now open your Bibles to Romans chapter 5, verse 12. I just want to show you one verse. I want to show you one verse because God didn't design your world to be so painful. He designed for you to live in paradise and in perfect relationship with him. But Romans 5.12 helps us to understand this. It says there, therefore, just as through one man, sin entered into the world. Who's that one man? That's Adam, right? And through his sin, um, through his disobedience, sin entered the world. But look at that. Look at the next phrase. And death through sin. Death, suffering, pain, all a result of Adam's choice and his disobedience. And look at how the verse finishes. And so death (coughs) spread to all men because all have sinned, right? We've all sinned. We've all fallen short. We're all children of Adam and therefore we we are all sinners. And so all suffering, all evil, all death is a direct result of that sin and of the sin that we commit every day. God cursed the earth based on sin. You've heard the story in Genesis 3. He made it perfect, but after sin, he cursed the earth, the physical earth. He brought a curse on this planet. He cursed the devil. He cursed the man, the woman in the sense of what they would go through, and he cursed the physical planet. Every weed, every storm, every earthquake, every disease, whether cancer or AIDS or something as simple as the common cold, every ounce of pain and even death are a result of Adam's sin. But when you talk to people, they don't see it this way. Most are quick to blame God for all these problems. How could God allow this? But in reality, it's man's fault. Many of you know I work in surgery and every now and then I'm talking to, uh, talking to a doctor or one of the PAs and uh, somebody will walk out of the clinic with a cast on their, on their arm and their hand. Well, what happened? Well, now I know the answer before I ask. They punched the wall. They got angry, got frustrated, so they didn't go their way. And so in that moment, they punched the wall. And you know what the phrase is every time? The wall always wins. (laughs) That's the simple reality. You might be mad at your girlfriend or your parents or upset at a boss or a friend. You can blame that broken hand on anyone else, but you're the one that chose to do it. And as human beings, there has to be some response to the fact that we caused the mess. Right? That's a result of the fall and of our choices. We sinned and this is a consequence of sin. That's the simple reality of of our world. Number three. Why do bad things happen to good people? It's a warning serves as a warning. Events like 9-11, earthquakes, fires raging across Southern California, hurricanes, tornadoes, war, all of these things, they serve as a warning. They remind us that life is short and we are not even promised tomorrow. James 4 says that our life is a vapor, steam in the morning that goes away Psalm 39, verse 5 says that surely every man at his best is a mere breath. That's amazing to think about. Seems so long, doesn't it? And yet in the scope of eternity, it's just but a snap of the fingers. Turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 13. I want to show you something. Luke chapter 13. Jesus deals with this, and, and I think this will be helpful to you. In Luke 13, verse 1, it says, Now, on the same occasion, there were some present who reported to him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. So there's Jesus, and people are coming saying, What about this situation that happened in the temple? Some who had opposed Rome had gone there to offer sacrifice, and Pilate, in a political act, had had his soldiers come and cut them down while they were in the temple. 18 of them were killed so that the blood ran down with the blood of the animals and the sacrifices and they were mingled together. Verse two, and Jesus said to them, do you suppose that these Galileans were greater sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered this fate? Question is simple, why did this happen? Why did, Jesus is asking why did this happen? Is it because this disaster happened? Sudden death happened because of some divine displeasure toward that individual? They were worse sinners and therefore God took them? Is that what's happening? Jesus asks. asks? Verse three, I tell you, he says, no, that's not what happened. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. What's What's the deal? Whether that... They were killed today and you die tomorrow or you die in 30 or 50 or 60 years. Whenever, bottom line is unless you repent, you will perish also because judgment is coming. The fate will be the same for all. We all die. Whether it's now or later, it doesn't matter. Judgment comes. Look at verse 4, another illustration. He says, Do you suppose that those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, They were worse culprits than all the men who live in Jerusalem, same thing. So these people are standing there and this big, huge tower falls over, boom, 18 people dead. And they were inclined to go, well, they obviously weren't very good people because God took them and not me, right? I'm better than them. Are they worse sinners? Did they have something coming to them? Verse five, I tell you, no. But here's the warning, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Unless you turn from your sin, you will face judgment. And whether you die from a tower falling on you or in a car accident or from cancer or from old age, you will face God. You will stand before him. The Bible is clear that our days are numbered and every one of us will stand before a holy God and give an account for our actions. Events like this are a reminder that we are mortal and that judgment is coming and you and I must be ready. If we were in this house and all of a sudden we started smelling smoke <laughs> as if fire was coming, I would not be able to smell it because I have no sense to smell. But you would tell me, Sean, it's smoky in here. Uh, and it started to uh, even rain ash because there was you know, fire coming from somewhere else and smoke is starting to spread. And the, the police um, are outside. The fire engines are going and, and we were clear. There's a fire somewhere here. What would we do? We would grab our possessions. We would make sure that each one of us was out of here, and clearly we would carry this branch out to make sure it didn't burn down. It's pretty simple. If a fire's coming, you take steps to protect yourself, right? You get ready for that. If you have a final coming up, which many of you do, I'm so sorry for you, but if you have a final coming up, you do what? I hope you're studying, you're reading, you're preparing. Why? Because that's the judgment on you for this class. Whether or not you're going to pass and excel is based on whether or not you are prepared. It is no different here. Judgment is coming. Are you ready? These events serve as a warning. Look back at chapter 12 of Luke really quickly. um, Verse 54. It says, He was also saying to the crowds, When you see a cloud rising in the west, immediately you say a shower's coming, and so it turns out. Yeah, pretty straightforward. When you see a south wind blowing, verse 55, you say it will be a hot day, and it turns out that way. You hypocrites, you know how to analyze the appearance of the earth and the sky, but you do not know, but why do you not analyze this present time? That's the warning. You can look and see the weather and figure out what's going on today, but you can't tell that we're in a day where judgment is coming and you must be ready. So i would just tell you, these things are not an accident. They are a result of the fall and they serve as a warning for us that we too must be ready. Number four, let's just say that these things are a magnet, for lack of a better term. They're a magnet. God uses trials and tragedy as a magnet. Now, a magnet does two things. It either attracts to itself or it repels. And I want you to answer in your own heart how you deal with the trials of your life. Because either they draw you magnetically to God or they cause you to push off and say, I don't want any of this. I'll figure it out myself. God uses trials to draw us to himself, to bring people to the cross. It's often from the pit of failure or the dire straits of strategy or even the halls of a funeral parlor or the bedside of a loved one in the ICU that having stripped everything else away, God shines brightest in that darkness and draws people to himself. It is in that situation that the great love and mercy of God reaches down to those in their sin and says there is a solution there is a hope, trust in the Lord. I love testimonies even, the ones that say I was into drugs, I was suicidal, I was at the end of my rope, and into that pit, God shone his light, and he saved me. Now clearly we're all in a situation that we needed Christ that was that desperate, but some don't seem that bad, even though we're all sinners. But think about even a thief on the cross, from that position, a murderer being executed, found the forgiveness of God. From that, pit, he called out to God and was saved. But God uses difficult times to draw people to himself. What happens in the trials in your life? Is it a function like a magnet to pull you toward God, to trust in him? That's the quiet work of God in your life and heart. Don't ignore it. But the other function of a magnet is to repel, right? And to push away. Sometimes tragedies have that effect on people. The old saying is true, the same sun that melts the wax hardens the clay, right? And sometimes trials and suffering has a way of hardening a heart against God. God is blamed for disaster and the individual becomes bitter and angry and instead of repenting, they harden their heart against him. Similar to Pharaoh, right? Right? You remember the story, the plagues of Egypt are coming, showcasing the power and authority of God one after another. And if you go back to that text, every time it says Pharaoh hardened his heart. Pharaoh hardened his heart. Ten times Pharaoh hardened his heart. Last time it says, and God hardened Pharaoh's heart. He had pushed away and repelled himself so many times, finally God closed off his heart permanently in that situation. Have you ever blamed God for these problems? that are in your life? Do you allow trials to draw you near to him or to push you away? Good questions to ask. What effect will a trial have on you? Number five, trials function as a crucible. Trials function not only as a magnet, but also as a crucible. You know what a crucible is, right? It's a a small... Well, I guess it depends, but it's a metal, um, uh, no, nope, it's not even metal. It's a, it's, a, it's a cauldron, a device, that has a higher melting point than the metal that's going in it. How about that? <laughs> it's used to remove impurities from precious metal. Uh, Kurt Gebhardt's gave a great illustration on this at, at uh, Fall Classic, I'm not gonna go into it in that depth, but imagine you take some gold and you stick it into this device and then the refiner's fire is turned on underneath and the fire is burning hot enough to melt the metal. And what happens is the impurities that are lighter than the metal, once it melts and is in liquid form, rise to the top, and the refiner takes a a scoop or skiff and just takes the impurities right off the top. And what's left there from the fire is the pure gold, the pure substance, having been refined and purified by the fire. And I think it's a great picture of the life of a Christian. Oftentimes, God puts your life into his crucible, and through trials and hard circumstances, he begins to burn off the impurities in your life. He exposes things, to self-dependence, lack of trust in him, pridefulness, desire to do things on your own independence and he begins to weaken those things and show them to you as impurities that the trial serves to bring them to a surface and if you're paying close enough attention, God sweeps them away through those trials. It's a great picture. It really is. Have you not experienced the refiner's fire in your own life? Many of us have. Not perfectly, but we recognize the hand of God in his discipline or in our suffering. And what child does God have that he does not discipline because he loves us? That's right, that's right. Genesis 50 verse 20, Joseph said, talking to his brother, as for you, you meant all of these things, throwing me into slavery and getting rid of me, pretending I was dead. You meant these things as evil, but God meant it for good. So often we only see the negative in our trials and our circumstances. Joseph had no idea what was going on when he was sold into slavery. He didn't have a picture of the end result. Job loses his his house, he loses all of his flocks, he loses all of his land, he loses all of his family, he loses his own health, he knows nothing except he has nothing, right? And what does he say? Naked I came from the womb, and naked I'll return. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He understood that God is in control. And we now understand what God was doing. He didn't in the moment. But we trust verses like Romans eight twenty-eight that say we know that God causes all things to work together for good. Christian, you know that verse. Even as I say it, you're thinking, ah, yeah, yeah, uh-huh. No, no, no. Listen again with fresh ears. We know that God causes all things to work together for good. He does. He's orchestrating every event in your life. Everything happening is for your good. To those who love him, it says. To those who are called according to his purpose. If you are one of his children, then you can take this verse to the bank. Your trials are for your good. And it's so difficult to see today why, what does this mean? I don't get it. And you may not understand until you're on the shores of eternity looking back and he puts his arm around and he says, let me explain what I was doing. In the meantime, he calls us to trust. I have a friend who has a friend whose fiance died a week before their wedding. They had all flown into the place and she passed away unexpectedly. And he said as he was getting on the plane then to fly out of there, he sat by the window and was looking out the window and it was a a dark stormy day and the rain was falling and it was a great picture of what was going on in his heart. He was sad, Uh, he was filled with sorrow and with loss, conflicted with the why and what will I do now and all that would rage on in your heart in that situation. And as the plane took off then and went up through the clouds, eventually there was a moment If you've ever been in a plane like this where you break above the top of the clouds and it is perfect blue skies and brilliant sunshine. And it was in that moment that he was reminded that God is good and that that life is not all about what's happening down on the ground. We often only see the storm and don't understand what's going on. But when our perspective is changed to understand the eternal purposes of God and rest in his sovereignty and his goodness, that we rise above the storms and the cloud and recognize that in the presence of God, everything is peaceful and right. And the sun is shining because God isn't inflicting you and isn't inflicting others for no good reason. Like an experiment on a frog in the lab. It's not like that. God's purpose and God's hand is with the skill of a surgeon that cuts in to remove sin and to draw you closer to himself. It's a crucible designed to bring you into better relationship with him. God orchestrates every event, all things for your good and for his glory. You may not see it today, but we we choose to trust him. Again, Spurgeon says this, God is too good to be unkind and he is too wise to be mistaken. And when we cannot trace his hand, we must trust his heart. His sovereign hand is working through whatever circumstances you are going through. But even in that moment of need, you can trust that he's doing this for your good. That's why James says, consider it all joy when you encounter trials. Why? Because it's not about your circumstances. It is the fixed reality that your father is at work in your life, even through the most difficult of times. And we trust him. And therefore, based on who he is, we can take joy in that. God uses trials in our lives like a crucible, cleanses metal, and it brings us closer to him, causing us to cling to him. So, what have we seen? We've seen that there are no accidents. We've seen that that these things are a direct result of the fall. We must remember and see this as a warning for our own lives. We can view this as a magnet that either draws us to God or repels us from Him. And certainly we see that this is a crucible that refines us to be more like Christ. And finally, number six. This is the wrong question. Why do bad things happen to good people? It is the wrong question. The right question is why do good things happen to bad people? Listen, let me take you all the way back. We deserve nothing from God, but His wrath and His judgment because we, like our first parents, have put our fist in God's face and said, I'll go my own way. Every one of us has. And so you and I are not inherently good as most people think, right? You hear this all the time. Well, most of the world is filled with good people. They're just a couple bad eggs. No, the Bible declares that man's heart is desperately wicked, that we are evil, totally depraved, and that our sin has driven a wedge between us and God. And what we deserve, what we've earned by our works, is an eternal punishment apart from Him. Sinning against an infinite God means an infinite punishment. Sinning against a perfectly holy God means there's no way to work back to make that right. We are dead set on living our own life and we will end up in judgment. That's what we deserve. And I want to tell you that the reason that your heart is beating right now is because God is merciful and because God is patient and because God is good. The reason that he hasn't consumed you in his wrath is because 2 Peter 3.9 says that he's patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Again, the question is not why do bad things happen to good people? The question is why do good things happen to bad people? Every sunrise, you guys don't wake up that early. Every sunset. (laughs) Every flower. Think about the beauty of your favorite flower. Guys, you too. Think about the beauty of a flower. Think about a hummingbird. Think about a salmon swimming upstream. Think about an ice or snow covered mountain. Every song that we sing, whether Christian or not, is a gift of God. I love the sound of the piano. Music is such a good thing. Every smile and every good thing that you have in your life, and the list is endless. All of that is a gift from a good and merciful God that goes to undeserving sinners. We should have sinned once and been damned to hell forever immediately. You understand that there is a whole race, a whole intelligent race of beings. A third of them decided to rebel against God. And in one swift movement, God swept these angels from heaven and cast them down with an eternal fate and no hope for redemption. There is no sacrifice. There is no forgiveness for the fallen angels like there is for men and women. Have you ever thought about that? You sin just like they did. They're destined for eternity, they know it. There is no way out for them. But God in his mercy and in his love offered a way out to men and women like us. Why do good things happen to bad people? That's the question. Romans 5.8 says that God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Reminds me, if you can picture this in your mind, of a large dam. Picture the Hoover Dam if you've ever been there or some big dam. Or maybe the dam that you've made out in your backyard with a bunch of sticks. But anyway, on the one side of the dam is a wall of water, hundreds of feet high, millions of gallons and pressure up against the back of that dam. And I want you to to picture yourself standing at the very bottom, looking up at the dam with the water on the other side of that. If you've ever done that, it's an amazing thing. And you're thinking, how did somebody build this? This is like the craziest thing ever. Somebody actually built this thing. all right." And Megatron is not on the other side of that, okay? So that's not, but you're standing there looking up. And I, for the purpose of illustration, I want you to recognize that you as a human being have sinned against the holy God. And what's on the other side of that wall is the wrath of God, the anger of God that burns against all impurities, against all things that are not holy. It is ready to reach out and destroy the sinner. But in our illustration, there's a wall in place, there's a dam, that dam is the mercy of God. God in his own person has withheld, as if with his strong arm, his own wrath and he holds it in abeyance, waiting, patiently waiting, holding it back in mercy towards sinners. And there's a day coming when the dam is gonna break, or better yet, God removes his mercy, that day is over, and his wrath will pour out on the sinner. That day happens, that moment happens as soon as your heart stops beating. You stand in the presence of the holiness of God and you're exposed to his holiness and direct wrath. That's what happens at death. Bible calls it the second death. But imagine for a minute that Jesus Christ stood in front of you with his cross. And instead of you bearing the full weight and impact of that wrath of God, Jesus said, I will take that. And we stand behind him knowing that Christ has borne every sin in his body on the cross. Everything that we deserved, Jesus suffered. He suffered an eternity of hell while on that cross that was reserved for you and for me. In the words of the Garden, it says that he took the cup and he said, I will drink this every last drop right? That's what we experience. And so instead of finding judgment, we find grace. We find mercy. We experience forgiveness. And that sin that separates us from him has been washed away, pushed aside, dealt with by Christ. And now we can come into the presence of God and have a relationship with him. The right question is, why do bad things happen to good people? The right question is, why am I alive? Why has God given me mercy? Why am I a Christian? I did nothing. It's all Christ. It's all Christ. And accidents like this and things like this make us remember that our days are short, and we have a Savior, and we must cling to Him, or we'll be lost. So... We've seen six answers to the question, why do bad things happen to good people? First, there are no accidents. God is sovereign. Second, it's a direct result of sin. We can't blame God. It's our own fault. Third, this is a warning that judgment is coming. Fourth, this is a magnet that either pushes you toward God or repels you from God. Fifth, this is a crucible that purifies you so you can know him better. And sixth, it's the wrong question to ask. It's the wrong question to ask. And so, my friends, as you think about Jesse and the days and weeks that come, and we find out more about the state he's in, as you deal with your own personal trial, I know someone else in our ministry who just found out this week that that their dad has cancer. There are heavy things happening in this room. I know it, and we know just a fraction of that. I wanna encourage you to fall on Christ, to trust him and to recognize that his promises are true and that he will sustain you, that he will help you and that he is the rock upon which we can trust in times of trial. Can I hear an amen? Amen. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for this chance to gather around your word. And we recognize that we don't always understand what you're doing, but we want to reaffirm our trust in you. We pray again for, uh, specifically for Jesse. Ask that even now that you would watch over him, that you would heal him, that you would bring about um, great peace in his family. Father, thank you for this time and thank you for a chance to sing now.